While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Andrew. My name is Craig. Oh, this feels wrong. Did you grow a mustache? Are we in the bizarro world? (laughs) I have a goatee. I'm evil. Evil Andrew. And I have usurped the introduction because (laughs) you have proven yourself to be woefully ill-equipped to do it this week. Wow. That (laughs) took a little while. I was thinking something else. I was was going for another word, and so I just strung together a bunch of I don't know what's wrong with me today. I think it it must be that it's the 13th episode, because I'm just, I can't get through the intro. We've been going for about half an hour now. (laughs) Not that our listeners, not not that our listeners know that, but uh, other than that, I just said it, but... um, yeah, and I'm bringing this one to a screeching halt. Take it away from me. I can't yeah, do no, it. you're doing really. I'm taking it back. Um, this is a podcast where um, every week one of us will read a book, and then we will tell the other one about it, and also you about it because you are listening to us. We are in your ears right now. Mm-hmm. That's true. Just That's talking. where we are. <laughs> so, Craig, tell me what you read this week. Well, I read A Lesson Before Dying by Ernest J. Gaines. Uh, it's another Oprah's book club book. Just like our previous episode, Jeff Eugenides' Middlesex, which I think you wanted to talk about real quickly, Andrew, before we go on. Yeah, um, I just wanted to say that um, last week um, we talked about the lead character in that book. His name is Cal um, as a hermaphrodite, which I've been told by my lovely fiance is kind of an outdated term. I think the preferred term now is um, intersex, like an intersex person or to be intersex. Okay. And, um, yeah, like hermaphrodite is a term that's used a lot in the book, but I, I believe it's, it's one of those that's kind of fallen out of favor just be, because, um, it's, it's, uh, I guess it, I don't know. I just, I just faded out. Does it have something to do with the origins of the word or is it just because of how it was being used before? And then now let's get away from it because it became loaded. Do you know? I think I think that was I think it's the second thing. Okay. And I really wish we had a good way to to like edit my trailing off with your <laughs> reasonable explanation. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be the story of this podcast. I don't think there's any looking back now. Man. Man, we didn't, we've made it this far, Andrew. We can keep going. Barely. We're just hanging on. It's like we're hanging off a cliff. I'm grabbing for like these those little trees. Oh. That are just barely stuck into the side of the cliff. Which one of us is on top of the cliff? Are we both just dangling off the cliff hoping someone I am, will reach over? I am holding onto the tree and you are hanging onto my ankles. Oh, no. <laughs> like, we're in, we in a bad way. Oh, God. All right. Well, then we got to keep going before we fall. So, yeah, you read A Lesson Before Dying, which I assume is a prequel to As I Lay Dying. It's not a prequel to As I Lay Dying. They're unrelated. And I've already read As I Lay Dying, so I won't <laughs> read that on the show. Okay. Um, well, um, tell me why you wanted to read this one, then. Oh. Um, I guess 
I picked this up a couple years ago when I was probably still in college, I think, but home for the summer. I went and sold a bunch of used books. Have you ever done that? Like just taking a crate of books to like a used bookseller or something? No, I never did that. I always went through Amazon and sold stuff. Okay. Um, Yeah, I was really disappointed with this bookseller because all he did was give me store credit. He didn't (laughs) give me any dollars and it was pretty worthless. What Um, even is the point? Like I can understand doing like a GameStop thing where the store credit, like maybe they give you more of it than they would give you cash. But yeah, I don't know if that was an option. I don't want to like hate on bookstores because no bookstores are great, but I don't know. Maybe this guy he just yeah, it was a weird setup. I don't like know. maybe maybe as an independent bookseller, he can less he he's less he's less well equipped to stomach like somebody just coming in taking cash for stuff that may or may not ever sell and then walking out. Yeah, I that's, think that's probably what it that's is. That's probably what it is. Um, so while I was there, I was just kind of looking around. I was like, well, I got this twelve dollars and fifty cents. I gotta buy something. Uh, and I remember seeing A Lesson Before Dying on the shelf. And I think I had heard about that book being taught in one of my high school English classes after I'd already taken the class. Um, it was an American lit. It's the year where you take like AP American lit or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really liked that class. So when I heard that he was teaching it, it kind of went in my brain. It's like, oh, that's probably something I should read. And it stuck out because it reminded me of Ezra dying. <laughs> so it just kind of went <laughs> into my brain. Um, that's interesting because uh, quite a few times on this podcast, you've read stuff that you were supposed to read in high school but didn't. Yeah. So I find it interesting that you, you just, you've you decided to assign yourself like extra reading I that you my... didn't. You didn't even actually skip. You just like kind of skipped it. Well, yeah. it was No one ever told me to read this book. I thought it might be a good read because someone, you know, I saw other kids from from that class reading it after I had long uh, graduated. I was like, oh, well, maybe I should read that book. So uh, was it a good read? What was it about? <laughs> yeah, let's jump to the end. Give me, the, give me the elevator pitch for this book. The elevator pitch for the book is it's set in the Jim Crow South in 1940s in a Cajun community called Bayonne, which is like a small town in Louisiana. Um, they, I think they reference Baton Rouge and New Orleans, which kind of confused me. Uh, but it's not one of those big towns. It's a lot smaller than that. <clears throat> and so it's set in the 1940s. And this uh, kid, Jefferson, you're not quite sure how old he is. Kid might be wrong. He's probably early 20s or something like that. Um, he gets caught up in the murder of a white... He's a black kid. He gets caught up in the murder of a white store owner. Um, he wasn't part of the planning. He's kind of... They paint the picture that he's not quite the brightest bulb in the pack. And he kind of gets taken along for a ride. Is at the wrong place at the wrong time. And the actual robbers get killed over the course of the murder. And then he is just kind of there, kind of quaking in his boots when the police arrive. Um, mm-hmm. And because it's the Jim Crow South... He is quickly convicted of the murder, even though there were no other witnesses. Um, And then they sentence him to death. And it's no spoiler to tell you that he will die. That's going to happen. Like that's a (laughs) foregone conclusion of the book. Well, because like that's the name of the book. Like this is the this is the lesson that he learns before he dies. It is not a lesson before maybe he won't die. (laughs) It's not the name of the book. Um, a lesson before being exonerated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, and so the main character of the book, Grant Wiggins, uh, is a school teacher. He's a black school teacher, and he's one of the few educated uh, men in town in that he left town to go to university and then came back. And so all the characters, you know, they refer to him as professor. Some of them, some of the white characters use that pejoratively and some the majority of the black characters use it earnestly. Sure. Um, and his aunt, whom he has a complicated, Grant's aunt, uh, whom he has a complicated relationship, um, convince him to go speak to Jefferson, the young boy, in prison before he dies. And the whole point is, and this is where the most interesting part of the book, I think, is the defense tries to make a case for Je- for Jefferson. I'm going to get these names mixed, mixed up because they're both presidents, so of course. Um, <laughs> uh, try to make a case that he shouldn't get the death penalty because he's not a man, which is a very... You think back to Of Mice and Men, and we were talking about the, uh, could you give someone who is mentally handicapped the death penalty, you know, the Lenny rule, which seemed, you know, not right by modern standards. And is is that why they're trying to judge him, like, as not a man because of mental handicaps, or is it because of, like, race or age or or anything else, or is it... The, is it complicated? They purely go on the he didn't know what he was doing, and they actually okay. call him the, his defense lawyer calls him a hog. Like, yikes! Um, what does he say? I'm gonna find it. Uh, but let us uh, let us for a moment say he was he was not innocent of all the charges brought against him. What justice would there be to take this life? Justice, gentlemen, why I would just as soon put a hog in the electric chair as this. And multiple times throughout the defense lawyer's, uh, you know, closing arguments, he says, he refers to him as a man and then goes, oh, pardon me, gentlemen, I didn't mean to insult your intelligence by calling him a man. Um, so So Jefferson's aunt wants the teacher, the professor, Grant, to talk to him and make him a man it's this really nebulous kind of charge that she's given him um and can you guess what happens to grant before the end of the book andrew no (laughs) he also learns a lesson about being a man oh my goodness yeah it's a little i don't know it's it's a little predictable in that way i kind of just cast judgment on the book um sure but like that's it's a little on the nose in that regard, but I can't speak, you know, it's got a sure. lot of other things going on that are, well, I just, I, I want to go back to the, to the not a man thing. I just can't like mental handicap or no, I can't help but think, you know, in the context of the 1940s South, that there's some kind of racial component to that, you know? Oh, of course there is. Oh yeah. 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 Um, they, you know, they call him boy and fool a lot in that same chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and it's I don't know I don't know that the book specifies how his defense lawyer feels about him. His defense lawyer is assuredly a white man who's doing right. it pro bono for the state, mm-hmm. uh, and he almost he they mount a failing case that he was actually innocent, which by all accounts in the book he was. Um, that's never really in doubt. They just kind of know that he's going to get convicted because he's black. It, the book mm-hmm. kind of takes that as an assumption 
Um, and so the best they can do is lighten his sentence and say, well, why would you kill him? That's not worth, you know, that's worth nothing because he doesn't even know what he was doing. You know, they're like, he doesn't know what size clothes he's wearing. He can barely read. Why would you do this to a boy and an animal kind of thing? So if that's their, if that's their defense, why does Jefferson's aunt want um, Grant to like, I don't know, teach him how to be a man and, and essentially like ruin their defense? Oh, well, the defense – oh, sorry. Then I was did not explain. Uh, in At the end of the first chapter, they pronounce that he will die by electric by the electric chair. Okay. So this is literally the lesson before dying. Yes. He is – Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, there you go. So it's more about, you know, proving to the community and proving to the people who sentenced him. Like it's an, it's an interesting mode of, I guess, resistance you would consider it. Um, against the social structure that they're in to say, oh, well, you know, you're going to kill him, so he's not an animal. He is a man, whatever that means. And and the tension of the book comes from uh, Grant, the teacher, not even really knowing what to go talk to this kid about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jefferson really is unreceptive for almost all of the book to his visits. Um and it's only kind of late in the book when he gets him like a radio and starts kind of just talking to him about more everyday stuff that he actually gets through to him. Mm-hmm. And I assume the rest of the show will be kind of be talking about the lesson and, and the ways that Grant tries to drive it home. But I want to go back to the relationship between Jefferson's aunt and, and Grant. Why is that? You said that it was a, uh, it was kind of a fraught relationship. Did they have like a romantic connection or something No, no, else? no, no. Uh, Jefferson's aunt, I, I don't believe, I might have misspoke. I don't believe Grant and Jefferson are related. Um, but Grant's right. godmother is close with Jeff. No, wait. I'm reading, I'm reading through the book to double check because it gets confusing. Grant's aunt is close with Jefferson's godmother. And so that's where that comes from. Oh, okay, uh, so it's it's not Jefferson's aunt talking to Grant. No, because that's I believe that's what you said. I don't know anymore. I'm pretty sure that's what you said. Right, but um, but anyway, Jefferson we've got that straightened out. <laughs> yeah, Grant's Grant's relationship with his family is fraught because he he seems to have an identity crisis with being an educated black man in the South. Um, so he doesn't really he has tensions with their religious beliefs. Um, He has tensions with whether or not he should be in that community at all. Um, Could he have gotten out and gone north or whatever? Um, There's there's an interesting passage that uh, I don't remember where it falls in the book because I I hadn't thought to think about it, hadn't hadn't thought to talk about it until now, where he talks about um, issues young black men have with their fathers and men being absent. And I think this... It's probably why one of the passages that probably resonated when the book first came out, as it does now, mm-hmm. um, just that he doesn't know what his relationship with his family is supposed to be. His, you know, his mother died when he was young. His father had already left, uh, and so he doesn't really feel like he has anything tying him to this community. And then over the course of the book, he sees he grows to see how important Jefferson kind of standing up on his way to the chair 
is important, how, how someone can be important to their community. Um, which is funny because he's the school teacher. You'd think he'd understand that he is important, but he doesn't really, um, he kind of doesn't really like it and doesn't seem to enjoy any of the teaching work that he does or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, why did he, why did he go in the first place? Like what was his driving, what drove him to like become educated and then come back in the first place? They don't really explain it. He's, he kind of talks about how he, he had to at least come back afterwards and then he got stuck, and it's that lack of drive at all. You know, he has a girlfriend um, who herself is a teacher, and she is separated and has kids, so he can't quite run off with her as soon as he would like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, right now, as the book opens, she's keeping him around, and uh, but he doesn't feel like he has a purpose in life, kind of thing. Um, otherwise, I think he would have gone somewhere and done something. Mm-hmm. So, okay, what does this guy who doesn't really seem to understand his own place in the universe, like, what is, how does, what does he say to Jefferson, like, at first when, when he's trying to, like, teach him this lesson? Well, he doesn't even, teaching is such a, is such an awkward, I, it's such a weird setup because he doesn't even know what to do. He just goes there, he starts kind of meeting with the one white deputy and, you know, becomes friends with him it's one of the the he constantly says that that guy came from good stock which is like a really uh concise way to say that he's not racist (laughs) okay uh in context um and so he gets let in and he goes and sits in jefferson's cell and jefferson barely talks to him like the first five times he goes um he doesn't really even know what to say uh, and as I said, it's only when he starts talking to him about w- how his aunt, how Jefferson's aunt needs him to do this. He kind of starts trying to use that angle. Like, you need to be receptive to me. We need to start talking. We need to, uh, you know, converse about what's happening and what you're doing. And Jefferson's taken the whole hog thing really seriously and kind of, feels hurt by the entire world around him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of overcoming that obstacle is, is Grant's biggest challenge. Um, and goes through a couple scenes where the family visits him and he's kind of really disrespectful of his aunt. Jefferson is, um, and the Reverend visits him and he's really unreceptive to that. And the, the books take on religion is kind of matter of fact. It's not, you know, it's, about being part of a community more so than than the actual belief system because it kind of allows Grant to not really believe in his community's religion mm-hmm. um, but still be sort of spiritual and then that's a that's a topic of conversation between Grant and Jefferson where Jefferson's like why you know the reverend's coming around why why should I listen to him do you believe in any of this and Grant's like no but you need to because uh, your aunt needs you to kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it is, it's a lot about shouldering burdens. And of course the character being asked and being taught to shoulder, shoulder the burden is the one who was told he wasn't even a man at the beginning of the book. Um, and then what Grant learns, it, well, what, what strikes Grant by the end of the book is that Jefferson is able to do that kind of thing. So, I mean, a lot of what I kind of, what I responded to most in the book wasn't even that track. It was a lot more of 
the uh, the setting and you know Jim Jim Crow South as a as a setting is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, just because and this book's take on it because you get it from the uh, point of view of someone who's definitely not comfortable with it, but also isn't gonna isn't an activist isn't going to deliberately fight back. You know what I mean? Sure. Now, is the is the book told from Grant's perspective, or who, like who is who are we hearing this from? Solely Grant's perspective, uh, save for one chapter at the end, or the second to last chapter in the book, that is all written in uh, in Jefferson's hand, as it were. Um, okay. Grant gives him a. Uh, like a journal that he can write in so that they have stuff to talk about when Grant comes around. Yeah. And how does their, how does their relationship kind of develop as, as the visits continue? It's, I mean, the, the journal doesn't come until late and that was part of it too. I expected it to be a bit more Tuesdays with Amori for lack of a better (laughs) word. You know, I expected each chapter to be like their journey and Mm -hmm. it really isn't an even until halfway through the book that Grant actually even goes and visits with him. So it's it's clearly much more about Grant's journey than it is Jefferson's. Right. Um, and like I said, the first couple visits, it'll be like Grant and Jefferson talk for five or ten minutes, and they don't even really talk about anything, and Jefferson says, why does this matter? I'm a hog, yada, yada, yada. I'm not going to eat, et cetera. And then from Grant's perspective, it just says that they sat there for another half hour in silence, and then he left. You know, mm-hmm. um, and then it isn't uh, until he brings him this journal and, and brings him a radio, which is uh, a thing that causes some tension between Jefferson and his family. And I think that helps Grant kind of brings him something that is a little taboo because it's playing like rock and roll music and stuff like that. Oh, is uh, it, so is it just taboo on like religious grounds? Then? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, so the people who are sending grant to go talk to jefferson are unhappy with how grant's doing it and i think that kind of buys him a little bit of cachet with jefferson you know because mm-hmm. um, jefferson certainly doesn't want to deal with any of this he feels terrible about all of it and would rather it just all go away uh so then that gets grant's foot in the door so that he can start and it's it's that kind of thing where he starts having to make an argument that he doesn't believe at first and slowly starts seeing that it's necessary you know mm-hmm. um but the the it's really interesting the whole the book is kind of an easy read by and large um like, it doesn't sound is it very long it doesn't sound like it's very it's long. like 200 pages it's pretty slight yeah um and the it's not dense or anything like that it's you know not not simple in a pejorative sense it's just pretty clean and concise right yeah. um but then the the chapter that is all Jefferson's writing is really difficult because it's kind of written in dialect, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So like no. whenever Jefferson says the word human, it's spelled Y-O-U-M-A-N, like you mm-hmm. man, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this the one, and it's, he's writing in this journal like right before he's going to die. Um, and there's this one section where he's he's like, it's really probably the most powerful part of the book, I would think. And it and requires the most of the reader at the same time uh, because you kind of have to just, like, translate this really 
awkward writing that has no punctuation or anything. Um, and he says, sun going down, and I know this the last one, the last one I'm going to ever see, but I'm going to see one more sunrise because I ain't going to sleep tonight. And then he says, I'm going to sleep a long time after tomorrow. Um, and it's, you kind of just, he keeps such a strong, not strong maybe is the wrong word, but Jefferson really doesn't let anyone in the entire book. Um, it's really hard to see how he's feeling about any of it. And mm-hmm. so to to really end the book, well, not quite end the book, but second to last with this really kind of revelatory diary chapter is a nice touch, I think, um, that breaks up the way the book functions. Sure. So um, I guess in in some of the... Uh the pre-show, I guess, I guess, chatter that went on and on because we kept trying to start the show and failing. <laughs> um, we talked a little bit about just like how we're both like white dudes, mm-hmm. and it's and, and and that like puts us in a position of of privilege over pretty much every other group of people. So yeah. like as a as like a white dude living in 2013 what what did this book like what perspective that it did it give you on like race relations or even like on like the Jim Crow South at this time specifically there the two most interesting scenes i think with regard to that are uh the one chapter where grant actually has to get permission from the sheriff to go talk to jefferson at all and the sheriff is good friends with the plantation owner that Grant's family used to work for, or mm-hmm. may have even, you know, a generation or two back been slaves for. I don't, I don't really recall if that's ever specified. Right. It, it doesn't seem entirely unlikely. No, <laughs> it doesn't seem unlikely at all. Um, so, but to go into that house to talk to him, he has to go in through the side door through the kitchen. And there's this whole chapter where he's waiting there to talk to them and he wait, they make him wait for like three hours Mm -hmm. and it's all talking about how he's not going to sit down in their kitchen. He's going to stand there because he's, you know, an educated man. But, and he, he talks a lot about how, especially when he's talking to the sheriff, he can't come off as too smart. You know, there's a lot of the pejorative of one of the smart ones because that's going to get him in trouble kind of thing. Right. Um, and similarly, whenever he's going to visit Jefferson, he kind of has to watch his mouth and not, you know, know when to say yes, sir, in the right way, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, kind of just going through that delicate balance is very educational. It's The, the book seems to fit in the pantheon or at least wants to be in the pantheon of something like To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, um, just in terms of there's a trial and it is probably it is a wrongfully accused black man who still ends up you know getting a guilty conviction and and how a community has to deal with that but it is told from the other perspective you know it's told entirely in the black quarter of this town it's we're not Mm -hmm. you know with atticus etc etc yeah uh so kind of the the way you navigate all of that scenario from Grant's side is kind of interesting. And then the other scene that is really, really, I think, hard for, for me to relate to at all, but is kind of fascinating, feels like a, like a not the right word, but at least informative and, and enlightening. Yeah, is there, fascinating sounds like too, 
too enthusiastic about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Grant spends a lot of time in the book going to this bar where he meets his girlfriend, Vivian, often. Um, and he'll go there when he's either on the way to go see Jefferson or just after he's gone to see Jefferson because it takes a lot out of him. And he goes there once kind of in the month leading up to Jefferson's execution and the, the community is talking about it more and more. And there are these bricklayers working at the bar and the book is very specific to say that they are mulattoes and that they live in a different part of town or a different part of the quarter than other black people mm-hmm. and that they get and take different jobs you know, I think a lot of the people in town work uh, in the cane in the sugarcane fields, um, and they are bricklayers. They get different jobs, and they kind of start talking about Jefferson and you know talking mess on him and saying that they should have killed him months ago and stuff like that. And it ends up boiling over into a huge fight, like a huge actual fist fight between uh, Grant and the guys and causes a big rift between him and his and his girlfriend because she thinks that he's trying to avoid his duty to Jefferson. Mm-hmm. But that kind of... You, we tend to think of race, especially black and white issues, as binary. And that's just not always the case, which is not something that I think we as white people are exposed to, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, not not much. But I mean, definitely there are... There's like a whole nother set of issues even even now that confronts, you know, people who whose parents were of different races, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's the idea that, like, if you have one drop in you, then that makes you black. And that's, you know, that's a whole other thing that's not quite spelled out in this book. But that I've, I've heard about that in other books. There's a book, um, there's a short story or a book called Passing that is about a woman who pretends to be white in I think 1920s New York city. Yeah. Uh, that it kind of explores similar issues, but that kind of racism within black culture is not something that is, I think at least for me as, as a white guy in 2013 is really has ever really been elucidated very well. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not the subject of a lot of movies or stories that I have right. been privy to. Well, because I think I think now it's like so many people have such like a multi-layered, diverse background that I think it's maybe a little less awful than it than it would have been in the period of this book. Like like to be a mixed race person in the 1940s in the South, like of course you're not white, but also you don't really belong to the black community either. So, yeah, yeah, I, I can see why it would be almost like a whole third you know race that neither black people or white people are really comfortable interacting with well and and as in in some of the outreach teaching that i've done i've definitely seen kids uh in inner city schools kind of very aware of light skin versus dark skin and you know i don't want to wade too far into this territory because again like we've said we, we aren't quite the people to speak to this yeah, and and like we we always and this came up last week in in Middlesex too, but we like we always try to be as super sensitive as possible to to this kind of stuff, just because, for my part, like I am, I am not even like a hundred percent sure what is what is like fraught and what isn't, you know? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Like what is what is a cultural landmine and what is not? Yeah. Yeah. 
So if, if we step on any, like, please let us know, you know, contact us, however, and, and like, and, and help, uh, help educate us and we can maybe try and help educate people too. Like, I don't know. We, we want to be, we want to be good human beings. I think. Yeah. Well, and ultimately that's part of what this podcast and, and reading these books is for, I would, I would argue, you know, because mm-hmm. you, if, if we did not have this conversation and you did not know that there could have been internal racism within black communities. Well, then now, you know, so you don't make that gross generalization. Um, right. And it, it is, it's a, it's a tricky thing that kind of definitely kind of definitely. Yeah. Blah, wow. <laughs> that definitely informs some of the, uh, social strata of this book, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Because Jeff, uh, not Jefferson, Grant himself does occupy an awkward spot as this educated black man existing in Jim Crow South, who who kind of has means to, if not financial means, but definitely skill based means to escape this situation and go do something better. Mm-hmm. But the argument that circles back around to him is that he should be trying to do something better in his community rather than. Right escape it for something nebulous that isn't actually him at his full potential. Yeah. But I mean, even then it's, it's still like he has these, these, you know, mental faculties in this and the, and the, you know, the book learning and and Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But, um, but he's got to pretend like he doesn't to, to fit into the society at all. Like, it's just like they're tying his hands behind his back while also asking him to do, you know, all this stuff. Well, yeah, and not even from a from a black versus white perspective. Like, even among his family members and the, his extended community, he is definitely part of the community as the teacher. And there's a whole uh, part where his kids put on the Christmas pageant, which I think is kind of drives home how he fits in the community. And, and, and in the party afterwards, he is completely removed from interacting mm-hmm. with any of the parents and the students and stuff like that. He just kind of willfully removes himself from that situation. Um, but then in his conflicts with the reverend who does not have any sort, any sort of formal training other than he studied and read the Bible a lot and now gives mm-hmm. the sermons kind of thing. Um, there's this sense that that man has an acute knowledge of the community that Grant does not yet somewhere in between them is actually the solution for Jefferson's problems. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's, no, that's, that's just, it's, it's interesting to see these, these, um, like divisions within divisions. Mm -hmm. Like you've got, you've got the purely kind of biological ones. Like, you know, are you black or are you white or are you something in between? You've got the cultural ones that, that kind of, roughly mirror the the you know the skin color divisions Mm -hmm. but not quite and then you've even got like divisions of of education and like thought yeah all this like nebulous stuff that it's it's hard to even define well and it's the same kind of that kind of argument is useful when whenever i start either reading about or thinking about socioeconomic policy and like problems within you know, living in a, in a city in Philadelphia that has, you know, very different neighborhoods based on who's living there um, and very different financial states of those neighborhoods based on who's living there. And just seeing that it is not just about money or it's not just about 
you know, demographics. That all of it is kind of fed into one big mess. You know, yeah. and, this and what's just what's what's crazy about it. And I'm gonna I keep going back to Middlesex just because I think yeah. talking about disadvantaged groups or like misunderstood groups is a, is a theme in both in both books. But what always kind of gets me when I read stuff that deals with you know periods in the past is like there are people who try and make arguments about like racism being quote unquote over mm-hmm. or or like not as big of a deal now as it was but it's just it's so the progression of things is so like okay for for example in Middlesex they're in Detroit and they're there from like the 1920s or so like all the way up through the the 70s and 80s and so like when they get there there's this black neighborhood and it's you know entirely black and it's very very poor and it's and it's you know, it's kind of confined to a section of the city. And then as they, as that neighborhood starts spilling out into the rest of the, uh, the rest of Detroit, like the white people start getting nervous and like leaving. And that, that causes white flight, which mm-hmm. causes different neighborhoods to fall, you know, into disrepair. I don't know if that's the word that I want, it's but close we'll to, go with yeah. it. Um, and that like deterioration eventually leads to like the riots and even like, even going into the present day, like you can see how Detroit is kind of, I don't know, like on the, on the poorer side of things. Like it's a, it's a, it's the only city where the city planners have to worry about how the city is decreasing in size rather than increasing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just like none of this stuff is happening independently of history. Like it just goes back so far. Well, and, and the issues have mutated, you know, yeah. Maybe the feelings haven't, and that's part of the problem. And and the idea that maybe you can't be, you know, we have certain equalities written into law, but then that the unfortunate side of that is that when people are, I don't know, instituting formalized inequality, they they are able to do it in such a like kind of hidden legalese red tape way. Mm-hmm. Um, or that people have to kind of jerry rig those things up to in what in what in this book would have just been like a you can't vote law you know <laughs> or uh whatever it is it was funny i uh i recently saw the movie 42 which is the jackie robinson movie um and we won't talk too much about that because that's not a very good movie but um <laughs> it is <laughs> kind of bad. relevant because in this book they do it is this is contemporaneous with uh Jackie Robinson breaking into the big leagues. So there's actually a scene in the bar where two older black men are talking about Jackie Robinson that Grant overhears. But in that book, in that movie, there's actually a scene where Jackie and his wife who are not from the South, um, they go down South to play in spring training games and they see a coloreds only bathroom that, and they, mm-hmm. and his wife remarks, I'd never seen one of those before. And then they, she goes in there to kind of, I guess, prove a point or explore or something, and they get bumped off their flight because they were like in or on their off their bus, whatever they were waiting for. Um, and it's just an interesting scene because you you don't even think you can think about that time period from a variety of angles, and you don't always think about the fact that like in some places it was better, but in some places it was a lot worse, and people didn't know how worse it was. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's it's not that. 
you know, I am I am unaware that that life didn't start like on October twenty seventh, nineteen eighty five, when I came into the world. <laughs> but like one of the, one of the things that I like about reading these these books that are like set in a certain place or a certain period is you just get to kind of see how things like I'm I'm sure this was an interesting snapshot sitting as it does almost exactly halfway between like the civil war and now. Yeah. Yeah. And just like you, you can see like the civil war still probably, it still might be a living memory for some people in the book or like only a generation removed from living memory. Very much so. Yep. And, um, you know, like reconstruction definitely in living memory. And then, you know, going forward to today when, when, I don't know when when the stuff that's being told, you know, talked about in that book is now like in living memory or like a generation removed well, from it. Well, and it's and it's interesting because in this book it it's before the civil rights movement is even a thing. You know, right. the idea that Jefferson would have been convicted of this that anyone would do anything about it from a political perspective doesn't exist. Yeah. Like that is and that, that wouldn't that wouldn't come along for another twenty or so years, yeah. I don't think. Um so the what it said, you know, the way that these characters can kind of resist the world around them um is a lot more about their internal character and how that reflects for the for the people who need them than any sort of, you know, social justice changing the laws way. If that mm-hmm. makes, which is in in its way kind of makes the message of the book a little more universal um, and a little less time period specific. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it is not a book about overcoming the system in any tangible way. Um, it's about doing it spiritually or, or otherwise. Right. I guess. That's, okay. I guess that's it. Well, uh, uh, oh, yeah, there quick, we go. Before, before oh. we kind of wrap this up. Um, I kind of want to start doing this when I can think about it in podcasts because we had fun with it in earlier episodes, which is like when there's a cool phrase or a word you didn't know in the book. <laughs> okay. Um, and halfway through in one of the – it's when Grant is talking to Jefferson about the Christmas program and they're talking about giving him some food or some um, or some extra clothes. And then he starts talking to him about how Jefferson has a moral obligation to uh, to his aunt, which is why he should try to overcome this situation. And then he says, "Well, that's for that's for humans. I'm, I'm not a human. I'm a hog." And Grant says, "Well, then why do you speak, Jefferson? Human beings are the only creatures on Earth who can talk. Why do you talk? And why do you wear clothes?" And Jefferson says, "You trying to get me wool gathered?" <laughs> what? what what does that mean it means it means pull the wool over his eyes oh geez. it's a great That's... way to say pull the wool over his eyes <laughs> you're trying to get me wool gathered don't you be wool gathering me andrew i'll try not to wool gather you it's, but that's a really it's a really good folksy I might not be idiom able to help it. that i like <laughs> yeah because it doesn't it's not like a dumb way to say it it's just a different way to say it Right, yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting turn of phrase. <laughs> <laughs> uh so if you uh also read this book and there are interesting turns of phrases that we didn't talk about or 
you think that we handled this delicate subject matter poorly. <laughs> you, yeah. You, don't let us wool gather you. Yeah, don't don't let us wool gather you. You can uh, write to us at overduepod at gmail.com. You can tweet us all sorts of things at twitter.com slash overduepod. You could just follow us. We, I'm sure we would tweet more if, if you followed us. Um, <laughs> but we're, we were, we're pretty active on our Facebook page, actually, which is facebook.com slash overduepod. You can leave us questions. We When we post episodes, we try to post what we're going to be reading next. So if you have questions or you, or you go to the website and you can see what we're going to read next, uh, you can drop some questions or thoughts that maybe we can address in the episode. Yeah. And um, if you go to our website, which, as we may have mentioned, is uh, www.overduepodcast.com, we also have links up there to our RSS feed, which you can you know follow in your in your reader of choice. And we also have a link to our show on the iTunes Store. If you wanted to subscribe and rate and review our podcast, that would help us out a lot. And um, what else? Anything else? Well, oh yeah, and uh, on our on our homepage, we have. Uh, we put up Amazon links to the books that we have read and are going to read. So if you want to follow along or if you or if we talk about a book and you think that sounds like it's up your alley, you know, uh, if you would click those links and uh, buy the books with those, that gets us a little bit of money and supports the show. And we would really appreciate that, too. Now, I had someone ask me this week if they have to have read the book to listen to these episodes. And if you're recommending the show to a friend, you can tell them definitely not just Make sure it's not a book you're really super hankering <laughs> to be surprised by. Uh, right. Because, yeah, we don't want to outright ruin books for people, but we definitely don't want to shy away from talking about them. Like for, for one of us every week, you know, reading the book is not a prerequisite for recording <laughs> the show. So <laughs> don't worry about listening to That's it. That's kind of the way these things roll. <laughs> uh, so thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>